Are we becoming a sleazy country, a place you just can't trust, or have we always been one? I'm Sarah, host of Life as a Playlist, and... I'm Robert, host of Annihilation Minute. And we start this minute with our first on-air confrontation. It's a continuation of the conversation with the guidance counselor, Deaver, and he is... I don't know what you say. Deaver? Well, not Deaver. What's what Mark's doing right now? He's well. Essentially, he's just making a prank call. I don't remember if I said this during the show or after last time. There, he's he's accidentally doing something good this time. Yeah, because he's just making a prank call about a letter he saw that kind of pissed him off. I guess I don't think he necessarily cares that much just yet. He's just trying to find something to talk about. But he found a good uh, subject in Deaver because there was a guy eager to. Answer questions and brag about what he does. And in this conversation, he says, how come school's winning all these awards and yet students are dropping out like flies? Why is that? And so we see him challenging this idea that we ostracize people from systems rather than work to build better systems or to be inclusive with the systems that we have. Of course, Deaver denies this and Mark continues to read the letter saying Cheryl refuses to accept suggestions of a more positive mental attitude towards her health and her future. I'm afraid I find no alternative but to suggest suspension and just made me think it's interesting. We'll say horrible things and do horrible things to people, but under the guise of civility, it's like the letter sounds nice. It's the language is (laughs) just, just to be fair. These two sentences are not in the prop letter, but they are in the script. Yeah. Yeah, she she won't accept suggestions. So you gotta get rid of her. Which, as you said, yeah, an easy way to get people out of the system so the system looks like it's better. And I'm not sure what suggestion they gave to her if she's pregnant, other than to leave. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because they certainly wouldn't have wanted her to have an abortion, and they clearly didn't want her pregnancy itself su- somehow being a... <laughs> well, yeah, the the prop letter says, two previous guidance sessions with Cheryl have yielded little in the way of constructive scholastic or domestic planning. What do they... What does that even mean in this context? Because, yeah, they're not going to be wanting her to get an abortion <laughs> in 1990 in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Domestic planning. It's almost frightening wording. Yeah. It sounds very like controlling handmaid's tale-ish almost like they want to control her domestic planning. At this point in the film, I guess we could almost guess that maybe, uh, Louis Chavez is, is the father and they've been trying to get them to like get married and be responsible, which is not good at their age. Right. I think the script says he's 15 and she's 16. Yeah. So it's not, that's not going to go well. Either way, that's just, they're not going to be in school. Exactly. So this letter is just makes so it sound like, like we did BS, something. Yeah, language exactly. <laughs> we cut to well, don't cut the, yet because, or unless you mean Cheryl listening, because I I want to comment on Deaver mm-hmm. again because as soon as Mark starts asking questions, he gets up from his couch and walks around like he's paranoid, like someone's oh, yeah. watching. 
<laughs> like, if you immediately have to be paranoid if someone asks you a question, you're do- probably doing something wrong, and you know it. Yeah, he's definitely agitated. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Nora. She has the big mouth poster. Mm-hmm. Well, and the foul mouth poster and the nuts poster. Yeah. They all seem to be drawing she did since, in the movie, since yesterday. The script suggests it's actually been several shows since the last one we heard. Which would make more sense yeah. for that much. Yeah, like time has passed. Yeah, and we had, we had seen Cheryl was listening, and she kind of smiles when he challenges Deaver and calls him slime. And Deaver hangs up. Nora, we're back to Nora. She's playing with a hat, it looks like. A little feather hat. She's just playing in her room. And we're not finished with Mark railing on Deaver just yet. <laughs> so he continues his rant. Another part of that rant, he says, society is mutating so rapidly that anyone over the age of 20 really has no idea. On the one hand, this comes across very simplistic teenager. Nobody understands me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adults just can't, can't get it. That argument that teenagers have had since the beginning of time. I know I've certainly felt that way. Most of us have felt <laughs> felt that way. His audience feels that way. Maz yeah. laughs, Janie nods and smiles. But there, he also is making a good point because in 1990, we are seeing a rapid change in society in terms of technology, in, in terms of mass media. I mean, we've had these technological and mass media changes ongoing for the past century and defining depending on how we want to define mass media and technology obviously for thousands of years but with personal computers being regularly used with reality television the birth of that in the 1980s which I'll talk about a little bit later society is it is rapidly changing mm-hmm. the music scene we also see I mean we always see changes in the music scene but a lot of the punk music that he plays throughout the show, punk is sort of on the decline and dying, and grunge, which will come in the next year, at least yeah. in terms of mainstream, is being born. But a lot of people see grunge as kind of that last gasp of punk, kind of punk going mainstream before it dies out completely. And now we don't even have rock charts anymore. So, <laughs> And interesting, I think, coincidence... He quoted the lines from um, Get Together last segment, and um, Kurt Cobain uses those same lines, like, jokingly at the beginning of a song, uh, Nirvana song, I forget which one, now. I didn't write that down. Oh, yeah. But, uh, come on, people now, smile on each other, or <laughs> smile on your brother, everybody. Yeah. And obviously by 1990, Nirvana's existed, their mm-hmm. Peach album has yeah. already been out. It's just Most people outside been- Seattle haven't noticed them yet. Yeah. <laughs> and funny and kind of a diversion, story-wise, people like to talk about Nirvana as a Seattle band, but they weren't really a Seattle band. They were an Aberdeen band, oh, yeah. and a lot of their mythology surrounding Seattle isn't quite accurate. It was just <laughs> easier to lump them in with similar grunge acts well, from Seattle yeah, at the time. As you yeah. want to do. A new style of music shows up, you want to put it somewhere and call it something. So it's Seattle music, it's grunge music doesn't matter yeah. whether the bands are similar or have similar goals. Or- yeah. And culturally, Aberdeen's very different from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Mark also says in this rant, well, first of all, 
You're not screwed up. You're an unscrewed up reaction to a screwed up situation. You see, feeling screwed up in a screwed up place at a screwed up time does not mean that you are screwed up. And I think this is one of the most popular lines from the movie. I've seen it in memes. I've had somebody already send us memes, a meme of that Mm -hmm. to our pump up the minute (laughs) page on Instagram. And I'm guessing it's resonating with a lot of people right now in particular. (laughs) So anybody who feels screwed up has a pretty legitimate reason to. I mean, we're living in a country where we cage babies and steal women's uteruses. So it's odd sometimes knowing that even people you're politically aligned with or think your values are aligned with for the most part are so oddly quiet on mass violations like this and it starts to get to you and like am i the one who's again don't like to use crazy bliss word but <laughs> i used to feel like am i the one who's cra- who's crazy so the correct answer is yes <laughs> but no because the world's much crazier than you are and is probably the cause of most of your problems And you could deal with your own shit much easier if the world didn't constantly fuck with you. By the way, do you think it's too late to get TikTok and WeChat as sponsors for the show? No, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Since they'll be gone from the App Store in a few days. Yeah, make sure if you want TikTok that you download it from the App Store by Sunday. It should work at least through the election, even though there won't be any new updates to Mm -hmm, the app. mm -hmm. Next week, though, will be brought to you by the 1776 Commission for all of your white supremacy needs. God, yeah. (laughs) For those of you who might be really freaking out at that reference and not know what we're talking about, you could briefly mention what's Uh, happening there. (laughs) Well, to be fair, so far, it's nothing but one speech that Trump gave. He didn't actually sign an executive order for that one yet, as far as I know. Even though some things reported as he did, he's creating a... Uh, National Endowment for the Humanities grant, which I don't know how the president's in charge of that, uh, for a program to promote patriotic education in our schools to replace the, as he calls it, obsolete and, um, uh, what did he call, he used the wrong, he used the wrong words for all of it, but the 1619 project and how it's ruining American history because that's, that's of course the problem. If your history can't stand up to challenges of, you know, reality, maybe just change it, not go backward and force it on people. Yeah, especially since white, quote-unquote, patriotic history propagandized is all the history that most of us got. I know that's the history I got mm-hmm. in my Catholic school, and it's just like all of the white supremacy. It's like anytime there's a tiny pushback or challenge of power. It's the worst thing ever. So the fact that 1619 Project even exists, it's like they're so weak and threatened by anything. that. Mm-hmm. And he had to create a... This did happen already. He created a national garden that's going to have statues of the great men of U.S. history. Yeah. Great men like the slave owner statues that are getting uh-huh. knocked out. Mm-hmm. I think it is going to include Martin Luther King. So... He will go that far. I did mention him. Sure, but I don't but. even know about that far. Martin Luther King is another just 
weaponization by them where they take yes. him out of oh, context and in this same yeah. speech he mentioned we wanted to look at children not by the color of their skin but the content of their character so he's quoting him in order to make his racist bullshit points so yeah to me that stealing of martin luther king his identity and who he was as a person and his speeches and it almost seems more cruel and insidious than just some of the straight forward racist they say. Yeah. It's like, not only are we going to use weapons against you, we're going to steal your, we're gonna steal your, I don't know how to explain that. Well, I just thought of the cheesy way, which was yeah. stealing their, at the, maybe not now, but stealing their hope. Take away the symbol that should be theirs and turn it somehow into your own twisted one that goes back to, you know, kicking people out of the system. Yeah. They're on your side now, you know? They quote Martin Luther King and give him extra statues. So I should mention, because I made an error just a few minutes ago, I skipped to the, well, first of all, you're not screwed up line and failed to mention that we actually transitioned in Mark's show from his conversation with Deaver, which ended into him reading a letter from... Yeah, I was trying to segue back to that by yeah. referencing the sign on uh, the girl's wall that says homework causes brain damage. I wrote that down too. I love the signs in this <laughs> show. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, so yeah, soon homework will cause brain damage, or at least brainwashing. The girls, by the way, are named... It's awesome in the script. Minor characters we see in one shot have names. They're Alyssa mm-hmm. and Sandra. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Alyssa is described as plump and wearing, like, girly clothes. I forget the phrasing. Yeah. In the film, it seems like they're just both wearing pajamas yeah. and hanging out. I don't they, know they, they, they are, sleepover. It is definitely deliberately, or, like, yeah. pink and bright, and they're just having a fun time with their prank letter. Yeah. So I've I've had fun looking at all of the rooms throughout this show. The, mm-hmm. the set dressing's been really even some of the boring ones, like even the guy sitting on his couch, it like I was like looking at what kind of room it is, and it seemed like a house from like the seventies with the wood paneling. He's got his box of Captain Crunch out, and you can get an idea of what they were going for. And they all seem like real rooms too. Yeah, and I think they're using the same house for different characters. Like the boy with the Captain Crunch, he seems to be in the same house that. Deaver was in and seems to be in the same house that Malcolm was in. Like, Malcolm's room kind of it's looks possible, like an upstairs yeah. of Deaver's house. It could house. be. I mean, yeah, they definitely all feel like real rooms, but a bunch of them, yeah, could be literally in the same house. But that's why most of them feel cramped, is because they're not sets. We just see a corner of a room because you have to have a camera in there. you got to have a director in there. you got to have the sound guy in there. you got to have lights. Uh, so, yeah, they, Lissa and Sandra have sent in a letter that, Turns out to not be true when Mark calls them up and calls them on it. I would point out in the transition before we talk about them or his reaction to them, Mark uh, takes their story seriously when he goes on his like screwed up rant and he picks up an already lit cigarette. I want to point that out because it seems like there's a trend in this movie where we don't see anyone light cigarettes. Yeah. We just see lots of people smoking. And I don't know if that was some standard for the ratings board because now you can't even put cigarettes in a movie without getting a, a possible R rating. I don't know how much we cared at the time. Yeah, that's an American thing, right? Yes. Notice we've been watching the show Normal People, and they changed. They smoke so yeah. much smoking in that, yeah. in that show, and it's, it's an odd. MPA thing, or yeah. MPAA used to be. It's it's odd watching it on that show because I'm so used to not seeing smoking yes. on television shows. Uh-huh. 
I, I'm guessing this is where your reality television reference comes in, is him wanting this story to be true and, like, kind of looking for the outlandish drama, but I don't know. Actually, no, that's going to be down a little bit further when Mark comes back on air after Malcolm and Mrs. Kaiser, Malcolm's mom's thing, oh, okay. so we could talk about <laughs> talk about that briefly. We cut over to Malcolm's mom asking him if he finished his homework yet, and Malcolm has a very old man room and a very old man dress. Like, he's <laughs> dressed in the sleeveless sweater vest with the, I don't know if it's a plaid shirt exactly, but... <laughs> it's a dress shirt now, yeah. Yeah, definitely a dress shirt, and he looks like a 70-year-old in dress. He's got this, like, brown Kleenex box and mm-hmm. this calendar with a boat on it. It's odd. It doesn't, even for, like, a nerdy teenage room, it doesn't look like a teenager's room at all. <laughs> right. Although he does seem to spend a lot of time in it. That's the implication, especially the script is even more specific. When the mother walks in, she immediately opens the window. Oh, yeah. And in the script, it says she sniffs the air and then opens the window. And so, like, the implication is he just stays in his room all the time. And sure enough, she asks, she says, your father and I are downstairs watching TV. Why don't you come and join us for once? And he says no. I think that's the computer on his desk. Yes. So. From the other angle we saw, it was the one, it was the same screen that he was typing on before. We don't know that yet, but. So maybe the implication here is he's not really paying attention to anything in dress or his room or aesthetics or outside world or connection because he's spending all of his time on the computer. And there's a theme about technology mm-hmm. and rapid changes in, in this film. So. Which is funny because be Mark wrong. has a computer and doesn't use it. Yeah. <laughs> and Mark has a TV that he never uses. Like he has, he has a bunch of stuff that he, but he always uses the same things for his show. And I don't think we see any computers in any of the girls' rooms that we've seen. Not so far, no. We might see one later when Paige, when we see more of Paige's room, when she didn't, like, take stuff down to the microwave and we might see yeah. more of a room then, I don't remember. So after Malcolm and his mom have that talk where Malcolm does not want to go downstairs and hang out with his family. Mark comes back on the air and he says, so I don't know, send me your most pathetic moment, your most anything as long as it's real. And that's the line that made me start thinking about reality television and this idea of just first talk show hosts or now reality show hosts just trying to draw out Mm -hmm. any bit of feeling or emotion like the audience can feed off of it like parasites almost in in the script we get an example but because the cutoff where malcolm turns it on and off we don't hear it he says it could be that time a girl smiled at you and you knew in a split second that you had the chance to be brave and you blew it so in the 1980s we had real people i don't know if you remember that show i know it existed i didn't watch it at all and that's incredible Yes, it did. Watch so that you one. do, it. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember much about real people either, just that it existed, but I do remember watching That's Incredible. And that was one of the, arguably, it's not really reality TV the way we think about it, but it's kind of a precursor to even things like TikTok or social media. Mm. It's just people doing yeah, weird things or people who have unique talents and not just having them display the talents, but learning about who they are and a little bit about their what story. What was 
What was the that first reality show that everyone credits? It's in the seventies. It's called like just the American Family. Yeah, or something like that. it was more of a documentary, I'd say, than well, but definitely it was, it's it the was, precursor. They just to filmed shows. a family at home, and then like a lot of shows in the nineties, eventually the family got used to the cameras and just started being normal. Yeah, and went through like fights and a divorce while the show was filming. So it was very much the kind of thing you get on later shows. True. And in the late 80s, we had, well, 1988, I believe, Cops. <laughs> so, oh, so much to unpack with Cops. I don't even know that I want to take that on. Uh, but <laughs> uh, yes. And it was always a problematic show in the way it presented people. But it was like, you could pretend you didn't care. I guess because we were white in, in L.A. Or I was. <laughs> yeah, well, I was waiting. They were, they were filming, it. you know, inner city and like backwoods areas, <laughs> trailer parks, and so you could pretend you're better than these people. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Feed off of their pain, off of their arrests, off of their, and it's a really good way. I mean, for people in power or rich to control you because they don't want you looking at what they're doing. They want you looking at other people and feeling like you're better than them. So, And when it's actual footage, you get to what Mark wants even. Like, I want the size, the shape, the feel, the smell. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears on, he says letters. But on this, if it's actual footage, you don't even have to feel bad about feeling good about it because they're real people, you know? They're, they're, that's their actual life we're seeing. And so we can, you don't even have to pretend. And now we have this whole next generation that's happened between the film in 1990 and now with reality TV. The real world started two years after this Mm -hmm. film aired, and we are just finishing up, I believe, a 14-year run of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Oh, my. (laughs) Now I'm old. I was about to say, yeah, the first few years of real world were pretty good, too, but then, wow. Wow. It's a long time ago. Yeah, so it's twenty eight years ago that we watched <laughs> the real world and and now we've transitioned from the real world of the two thousands and the Kardashians of the two thousand tens to social media stardom. Anybody yeah. can be a star. And anybody, even two people like us in our living room can be podcast hosts and everybody has access to broadcasting, which is awesome and also I was going to say terrifying. I don't know. (laughs) Along with that. (laughs) But from that, we've seen a huge increase in conspiratorial beliefs. In a return of, say, things like flat earth theory, where Mm -hmm. 16% of people... Coincidentally, that's around the same number of people who believe in QAnon conspiracy theory. So there's a certainly a significant segment I'm of the sure population that's prone yeah, yeah. <laughs> to conspiratorial thinking and we had everyone like Alex Jones with a microwave saying or microwave wow that was a weird slip a microphone <laughs> saying that Hillary I'm sure he Clinton, said something about microwaves yeah. <laughs> exactly well that was one of your early conspiracy yeah. theories but <laughs> yeah that. yeah social media is good and good in that it gives everyone a voice bad in that that means everyone's voice can also be taken as correct by people who were inclined toward it. So, yeah, you hear something interesting, and you're like, that makes sense. And then you retweet it, and now two people are saying it. 
Right. So a lot of times when you try to track back a source, you find that it all tracks back to the same unverified source. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, I saw that in multiple places. Yep. Because that's how sharing works. And since everybody can share, you can see the same story over and over again in your feed, which gives a legitimacy when... Yeah. Just yeah, this... The quote's not that interesting, but someone quoted Eisenhower yesterday on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that twi- that quote seems a little on the nose. Look it up. Doesn't exist. He did say something similar, or he par- was paraphrased similarly, but that quote didn't exist until 2008. Yeah. And then it's gotten repeated time and time again in all these different places. Because once it once someone identifies it as a quote, then everyone's like, oh, I need to use that. I will nitpick. Mark says ectochasm. That's not a thing. It's ectoplasm, Mark. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> not that people talk well, about ectoplasm much, other than Ghostbusters in the 80s. Well, was he trying to combine, like, ectoplasm and orgasm or something? He does <laughs> masturbate, well, fakely on the air a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. As well, and right after that, he says, and cum spilled all over. Yeah. So it I want brains and ectochasm like... and cum spilled all over him. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and a nice little hallelujah at the end, since we had Jimmy Swaggart earlier, which was another mm-hmm. 1980s televan, yeah, <laughs> evangelist thing. And we cut to Maz in his car, stands up, screams. He's having a great time. I guess he's gotten over the fact that there's other people in his field. <laughs> And then we, well, our final part of these four minutes is Mark saying the Eat Me, Beat Me lady is back, and we cut to him reading Nora's poetry. Yeah, and we get some shots back and forth where she is reading along uh, after he's a few lines in. I would point out before we get to the poem itself that there's a line in there where it says, New Papa Pepsi. Yeah, and I love the new Papa Pepsi line because... Well, really quick, it's not a Pepsi in the script. This will make what we say next matter more because it's a 7-Up in the script. They changed it to Pepsi. And he drinks Pepsi. Yeah. Go. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe they changed it to Pepsi because of the punk theme of this film and Pepsi being a reference to the Suicidal Tendencies song from 1983 titled Institutionalized. For anyone who might not know, Suicidal Tendencies was a hardcore punk band. And in this song, his mom is coming into his room and yelling at him about taking drugs and accusing him of all of these things. And he's he's upset and he just wants his mom to, to get him up. Like, can't you just leave me alone and get me a Pepsi? That's <laughs> the I'm not crazy. You're the one that is you're the one that's crazy, right? That's that song? Yes. Okay. Yes. And later, Limp Bizkit references the song in their song, Stuck, when he says, well, when Fred Durst raps, all I wanted was a Pepsi, just one Pepsi, far from suicidal, a suicidal tendencies <laughs> reference line. And yeah, so my, I think that's on purpose. My cynical impulse was <laughs> product placement, because, you know, we keep seeing the can. But then I remembered that in the 80s, Pepsi was not the big one. Coke won the Cola Wars. Yes. Pepsi was the underdog. Which would also make sense that they would choose it because uh-huh. this is supposed to and be the so, underdog. But then the suicidal tendencies reference seems specific enough that I think it's that. Yeah. He's drinking it because of that. Just like, I don't know if there's a reference to Blackjack Gum in some punk music, but Blackjack Gum at the time, you couldn't buy like in California. I will find out if we, that is in we, a song. <laughs> we knew of it because 
my mom would get some when she'd go to visit relatives in Pennsylvania. And so she'd, they'd mail her some or she'd buy some and bring it back like a big box of it. Now you can buy those, those, what is it? Cloves, Beeman's and Blackjack at the candy store at Universal Studios. Just right near here. I know my dad had Blackjack gum at some point. Wasn't That's that how in I Pennsylvania knew Pennsylvania though? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Quick search doesn't bring up anything about blackjack gum specifically just a few references to blackjack itself and one is from a punk band called death grips but i think they would have been after this film was (laughs) well i think the blackjack might also be one of the reasons i think i said this before why i think why i thought mark was from pittsburgh oh new like articles about this movie always say he's from new york but the movie never tells us that He's from back east, and it isn't very specific. So cutting back to the poetry, this was kind of an eye-roll moment for me because it just stretched plausibility a bit. As a teenage girl who once wrote teenage girl poetry and had crushes on weird guys, I had a hard time thinking she'd really be laying on her bed like that reading the poem out loud. I feel like she would have been more freaking out internally about him. Reading it, that could just be me ascribing myself to her, but that just, I don't know. I I could imagine, although this is also because I've seen this white gaze filming of like teen girls in movies in the 80s all the time, that she might have been laying on the bed at this point because he's the show's been going for a while and she's excited, you know, she's, but it was the reading along that bothers me. Yeah. Because this doesn't feel like she's, no offense to poets, this doesn't feel like she's a poet. Right. Who like worked on these lines exactly and as they are for a long time. More like she just, teenage poet just wrote these lines like, yeah, that's cool. Send that to him. Even on the letter, they're handwritten because we see, we get a glance of it. And so the fact that she has these lines memorized is, reads a little unreal to me, but that is a movie trope sort of. Poets always have their poems memorized, which is not how poetry works in my experience most of the time but that being said i'm not a poet (laughs) and we we need this scene i suppose to set mark up as this hero crush that she has because that's another movie trope the smart creative weird girl has to humanize idolize i don't know Uh, (laughs) though yeah in my notes i put she's really close to like an early manic pixie dream girl yeah but she's a little too emo and a little too grounded (laughs) she's kind of the normal one in this relationship (laughs) but her poetry it goes to her being the muse and also her being as we said the um protagonist Right. Because this gives him his line, this, you know, the last line of the film, talk art is in this poem, uh, be in the next segment because we only get the beginning of the poem. But she's the one that this, basically this show of Mark's is where the entire movie changes what he's doing with his show. Yeah. He talks to Deaver, he reads her poem, and then he talks to Malcolm, which is what's going to turn, give us a plot. Because now everyone wants to know who this radio guy is. Yeah. There's actually quite a lot in these four minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Even that he was going for the the girl's call about her brother coming in her room at night. He wanted to, this salacious story to talk about and couldn't get it. And so he's stuck with poetry, suicide, and school corruption, which is what it happens with his show. You put down your notes. You're not going to read her poem? <laughs> no, thank you. 
I will not be reading her poem. Why not? It feels wrong. It feels wrong to read her poem? Yes. <laughs> but her poem's important. I feel like I'd be party to the male gaze in reinforcing something there, I don't like. There, don't. Well, they're important lines we need to <laughs> reference because he will reference them and he likes them. That She says, every night you enter me like a criminal, you break into my brain. The rest isn't that exciting in this minute, but that idea that he gets into her mind is important. Because we've already seen she's obsessed with figuring out who Hard Harry is. She's got that two-page spread of students on her wall. She so far has only ruled him out, but she's trying. And later we see she has a whiteboard where she writes down clues. This is now a mystery she wants to solve. Um, Otherwise, I guess that's... It for this minute because it ends in the middle of the poem so we'll get back to that anyway next time it's definitely the movie is definitely looking at her with a male gaze as she's laying on the bed when she was doing lots of other productive things before she's been drawing she's been playing around with her hat she's been drinking uh tea or probably coffee sorry coffee exactly maker. yeah the fact that she's in bed in a submissive position on her back with the camera shot for her like neck and her breasts is purposeful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. I had a response to that, but I realized that's part of why it's problematic is that it works. Well, yeah, it's going to work for <laughs> any teen boy and a lot of girls too yeah. watching the film. It's like this, this movie between Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis, he'd been around a few years doing TV and movies, but this was what his second or third starring role. And this was her first film. And they were a couple, either they met doing this or got together right after, I don't remember. And so they got a lot of attention for this and teenagers would have paid attention. Yeah. Which weirdly this movie didn't do very well its opening weekend, but it got following pretty soon after. This film become a bit of a cult fit. Would it cl- qualify as a cult, a cult favorite? Yes. It definitely would now because it doesn't, it is not readily available to even watch, which doesn't help with the, like it becoming anything else. It's not as cult classic as Heather's, which he was in before this, but it, for some people, it's just the same or more so. I mean, I've, I had seen this movie more than I saw Heather's. Yeah. Maybe being a teen girl rather than a teen boy, Heather's was such a popular film at teen girl sleepovers that I I might have seen Heather's more than I've seen any other movie. If I think about it, just because of how often it was on at. (laughs) <laughs> anytime anyone stayed over at anyone's house especially in my group of friends it was like heather's was always on at some point if the su- if the listeners students yeah. the students <laughs> if our students want to yes, hear more personal it. anecdotes like that where can they hear that <clears throat> well that one won't be on your show i don't think but yeah well if you want to hear more musical and autobiographical references and social commentary you can Listen to Life is a Playlist and follow Life is a Playlist on all my social media accounts and you. I'm actually going to promote a show that is over at this point because I was thinking about it recently and how much I enjoyed doing it because it was even more negative than this one is sometimes so far. So we get closer to the election. I assume the show will get more negative and angry and ranty. Uh, I did a show last year called Mandy Sucks Minute, which the entire thing was just about how much I hated a particular movie, one minute at a time. And that was very therapeutic and fun. And some people love that movie, and I say bad things about those people. So if you want to be, hear me being very negative and cynical and 
eventually rewriting the film to make it better and talk about storytelling and structure and everything else, uh, find Mandy Sucks Minute on social media or go to lemmingdrops.com for links to that. Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts up! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to, but you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! Keep the air alive! You can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pump Up the Minute. Talk hard! Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Oh, everybody knows Everybody